and welcome to the Noble podcast, which is powered by Cooper Parry. My name is John Laffioli and I'm the creator of HubCP. And today I'm really excited to be sharing with you my interview with Galahad Clark, who is the CEO and founder of the Epic B Corp certified business, Vivo Burford. So enjoy and I'll see you on the other side. Hi everybody and welcome to HubCP's Lounge and as always I am joined by an absolutely epic entrepreneur today by the name of Galahad Clark and Galahad Clark is the CEO and founder of a very very cool minimalist shoe company and we'll explain what that means in a moment called Vivo Barefoot. So without any further ado it is lovely to welcome Galahad to the to the lounge. Galahad how are you? Great happy to be here last day before lockdown so uh you know it's uh we're uh you know we're, we're giving up our last moments of freedom to be with one another so let's make the most of it yeah absolutely any any crazy things you've done over the past couple of days just to get them ticks off the list oh interesting i've just come back from the mountains of sweden which was wow. uh, a big mistake to come back here you know as, as i call it now freedom um where you know that's the last sane place on earth apparently and uh you know life goes on pretty normally in beautiful surroundings i mean the joke in sweden is that they you know they were they were pretty socially distanced before covid uh, to begin with so uh you know but anyway that's that was that was my last little thoughty before uh we hunker down in uh i love London. it now i've just got to say and i hope you know the uh, swedish tourist industry are listening to uh, this which I'm sure they will be but I went to um, I went to Stockholm two three years ago and I must say it was an absolutely awesome place to go absolutely loved it so Sweden great place guys go and check it out so Galahad tell us about Vivo Barefoot now for me there's numerous reasons today why it's going to be really interesting to talk to you a because it's always great talking to the founder of a business and and talking about the concept and how it grew and the challenges and especially in the world we live at the moment and how you've adapted to those um but i want to get on to the fact that uh, you guys are a b corp business as well which will become apparent in a moment what i mean by that but it'd be great just to get a feeling for the story and and where it started and, and essentially what these shoes are that you've created what we mean by minimalist shoe company Sure. Well, um, you know, I think as you alluded to that, you know, I come from a long line of cobblers, um, seven generations of, of cobblers to be precise from Somerset. And um, so in, in many ways, I was, I was brought up in and around the shoe business. And um, I did spend childhood sort of school holidays on production lines uh, all around the world, honestly, um, sort of trying out and doing a bit of work experience. Um, I ended up going to university in America, I think in many ways to escape the shoe business. And I grew up in a little town where that's surrounded by it. Um, and my name sort of, you know, resonated with the shoe business in England. And it was great to go somewhere where it didn't mean anything. But then while I was in university in America, the, um, you know, and like every sort of middle class white boy, I got really into hip-hop and Wu-Tang Clan in the late 90s and they were really into wallabies and so you know it was my kind of shameless idea to go and you know effectively use those connections to go and hang out with the Wu-Tang Clan and we did actually end up launching Wu shoes together not with Clark's. Clark's sort of rejected the idea almost immediately 
But anyway, it kind of sucked me back into the shoe business. One thing led to another. I ended up back in England um, running a little, um, I mean, needless to say, the wushu business plan didn't go to plan um, for many reasons, not least that, you know, my main business partner ended up kind of with the biggest bounty on his head in America since Billy the Kid. But um, I ended up, anyway, back in England running a little eco fashion business i'm really into oxymorons like eco fashion and ethical business and uh, barefoot shoes as you can imagine you know um it's important to hold those contradictions within within ourselves um and it was actually while i was already doing a little another little shoe business um that a childhood friend of mine came to me with the idea of barefoot shoes and he just took a pair of nike shoes and sliced the sole off it and stitched on a kind of material on the bottom of it and like a sort of made it into a sort of like a little moccasin almost and um said this is the way shoes should be made and and, and in fairness he came to it through alexander technique and getting injured a lot and realized that he was a lot healthier and happier than when he was barefoot rather than in sort of clunky trainers I instinctively loved the idea, but honestly didn't know anything about it. Um, and for a number of years, we sort of developed the shoes as a side project. And it was very much started life as a sub-brand of, of the existing work we were doing. But it just started to gather momentum on a personal level and a consumer level. Like we started wearing them every day. We started sort of not wanting to wear any other shoes. The few, the very few pairs, and in the beginning it was very, very few pairs. The customers started respond to us, and the, the response was almost biblical. And um, and then it was a combination of getting educated about biomechanics, about the anatomy of the foot, and also, like frankly, going on a more of a sustainability education that we sort of came to realise that there was no other way to make shoes on 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 any level, on a on a health level and uh, health of people and health of planet can i just uh, can i just can i just ask a question because this is really this is really interesting everything you've said there especially the bit about a former business partner and a massive bounty on the head that sounds like a, a story for a, a story in itself uh, but maybe you don't want to go there i don't know but um in terms of going back to the the shoes right you said you take the shoe you slice off the bottom then you've got the you're left with the bare almost the, the bare outline of the of what the what the shoe should be as you're saying that i'm thinking but i'm used to shoes that are full of air that are cushioned that are padded so does that therefore mean that when you take that out you've got to get used to the fact that all of a sudden i'd imagine the shoe feels very 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 different yeah i mean it feels like as little shoe as possible it feels like you know effectively a glorified pair of socks and i mean yeah. it's it's not it's not like a new human experience to walk around barefoot but it's good point know, um you know everybody uh can do it um, amazingly without that much training uh, you know running is a whole another story and it's and, and running's a really complicated one and in some ways is is what's held back the whole barefoot movement yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I I think you know when people put them on, and 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 it's especially in America, you know, people always sort of come to me and say, "What's the magic behind your shoes, man? How do you do it?" And the point is, there is no magic, right? There's literally nothing there. The whole point we've 
we've just taken everything away there's no in, there's no interference between the, the 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 shoe and the foot the, the shoe allows the foot to do its natural thing and it's such an uncommon experience it's such unconventional wisdom that people are kind of like whoa this is a crazy experience as it were but you know that there, there is this is the way shoes have been made for thousands of generations the very first shoes ever made by the bushmen on the plains of the kalahari to protect their feet when they were persistence hunting were just a simple piece of eland skin under the foot that you know uh, that was the most simple sandal ever but it was obviously worked for the purpose they needed it when humans left africa to cross the the, the red sea and um, the mountains and populate the rest of the world we don't have hooves or pads so we needed shoes were tools that we needed to keep our feet warm and protect ourselves from puncture wounds or and thermal protection and you know and even the sort of shoes made by the sami people in the arctic circle they're just they're, they're just reindeer moccasins and there's just one layer of reindeer skin under the foot they have hay insulation so they wear bare feet with one layer of skin around their foot and just hay as insulation and it and, you know, keeps their feet perfectly warm in minus 40 degrees temperature but they're but they're bas they're basically perfect barefoot shoes so you know we're not we're not reinventing shoemaking by you know on, on many levels or there's no sort of technology other than the materials we're using i mean this is how humans have always made shoes person by person foot by foot allowing the foot to do its natural thing the the whole notion of heels and padding and air and gel and torsion and pronation control is you know a really um you know is a 20th century phenomenon really that um is i like to think just a sort of lip of like like a lot of things in the 20th century we just kind of lost our way a little bit and it's just a, a sort of minor sort of um what's the word sort of just lost our, we just lost our way momentarily yeah i know what you mean and so, so it strikes me then i mean you're, you're pointing out that this is not this is not anything that is just unlike anything that's ever been out there but you are definitely re rewiring the way people think about shoes and their behavior towards you so I guess the question I have is from launching the business then did you find that straight away people got it what was it like all of a sudden you know making the product like you have and, and getting it out into the market and you know getting people to really adopt to this 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 new way of wearing a shoe yeah well, look, in many ways in many ways it's still people don't get it obviously you know it's certainly not conventional wisdom um it's still a sort of fairly well guarded secret that is only you know a relatively small percentage of the world it gets to enjoy unless you're a Kalahari Bushman or a Sami reindeer herder or a kind of you know a, a Native American or what's the PC term these days a first people's nation living on a Pueblo in uh, New Mexico or something you know etc cetera, etc cetera. all those people get it and they've got the secret but it's People that have grown up in rich Western societies are the ones that have, are sort of not experiencing it. And the truth is, we, you know, we're obviously up against some of the biggest, sexiest brands and technology companies the world's almost ever known, or let's say great marketing companies the world's ever known, selling, you know, unbelievable technology and 
incredible engineered products with all kinds of technology that no one can you know quite fathom so you know the truth is when we launched vivo barefoot as a standalone brand in 2012 we we were aware of some research coming out of harvard that was as far as we were concerned was the kind of going to be the cat amongst the big shoe pigeons and uh, we you know we were calling up panorama and 60 minutes and all the big news programs say right you know, this is it this is kind of the end of the modern shoe industry as we know it we called up the factories so are you ready this is just about to go bananas and needless to say um you know the research let's just say got kind of slightly watered down in peer review it didn't get picked up at all and um we almost immediately went bankrupt so we spent at wow. least first two and a half years uh, as we launched Vivo Beth as a standalone brand in 2012, having dropped everything else we were doing, effectively just scrabbling around, you know, uh, with the um, trying to sell mountains of stock that we couldn't sell. It also coincided with in America at the same time, there was a big lawsuit, a civil action lawsuit against the V brand Five Finger Shoes. And so there was a kind of where Barefoot was arguably just kind of taking off in America. It suddenly kind of crashed around this um, uh, lawsuit that happened. And, um, and, and obviously we, we, you know, we got affected by that. So, um, yeah, we were, you know, it was definitely the most intense period of uh, my business life, as it were, that I've dropped, I dropped everything else that was, you know, vaguely working and profitable and would focused everything on barefoot and it kind of just, we, we, um, we had a tough couple of years, but I mean, that, once, that you, once, once we knew, we couldn't unknow it, as it were. I mean, that is what's so inspiring about talking to, to entrepreneurs. It's the fact that so many times you've been through such difficult, such difficult, brutal aspects of the business. What did you, how did you get through that? What is it that, you know, to, to talk about what you just spoke there, so bankrupt, almost bankrupt because of the just huge amounts of stock you have, litigation going on. What was it that just kept you going to obviously get through to where you are now, which is creating a, a thriving business that, you know, is doing incredibly well, but can you remember how, what just kept you going? Oh yeah, I mean it's classic. I, mean, I think every person that builds a business knows about you know the, those moments when you don't know how you're going to pay the wage bill at the end of the month, and you know you're frankly constantly staring defeat in the face. But I, I think you know we just you know I've got a wonderful cousin who's my partner in the business, yep. um, who's the head designer, and um, so I think having a partner is really important. You know I don't think many things get built by really by individuals. It's always a little team as it were so you, you can't underestimate the sort of the group of people together and 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 you know i think when you know there's no question everybody goes through relative periods of, of, of weakness as it were and uh and doubt and, and whatever but it was very much like the, the core group that stuck together through those and especially my cousin and and business partner asher and you know it was ultimately we just believed in it we just knew this was the truth we the, the science was so correct the, the, the sustainability logic was you know resonated so clearly we knew that there was you know and we still believe it there's no other way to make shoes there's no 
doubt in our minds as it were so and it's you know it's once you know it we couldn't unknow it like i said and so we just kept plugging away and you know you you find a way yeah well that's 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 pretty awesome it's, especially when you you talk about the the family element as well there so many businesses are you know built on a successful partnership from that point of view co-founders founders what have you but so can you just give us a, a feel galahad for the size of the business now so 2012 you started obviously we're now 2020 what have you grown the business to it'd be great to get you know some perspective of some context around the size yeah, so we will uh, our financial year ends in end of june so we just finished uh, last year at 34 million wow and um, we uh, we hope to get to about 40 million this year um yep. we're still growing even in these crazy times um which is super exciting and, and in many ways we're, we're you know we're the last three weeks we've had our best three weeks ever um and yeah, so, so, well it's always like it's never never one thing it's always like lots and lots of little things just sort of slowly coming together i think there's genuine there's a little bit of momentum a little bit of word of mouth starting to work and i, I think ultimately like you know in you know i'd like to think we were probably we'd probably doing slightly better if it wasn't for covid but um you know, having said that, we're a business that is ultimately about reconnecting people with nature. We're a business about um, health, and you know, those are two pretty important themes in the, in the world we live in today. So, I like to think Vivo is part of the solution and not part of the problem in these crazy times. Yeah, Galahad, I'd love to move to something called the B Corp certification. That is, well, I was looking on the website and. Quite frankly, some of the businesses, some of the companies that are part of this are just mind blowing. So, I'm just referring back to my notes here because essentially what it's about is companies that meet the so the way it describes it is the highest verified standards of social and environmental performance, transparency, and accountability. So, could you just give us an outline of the reason why you started, why you went on the journey of becoming a, a B Corp certified business, which I believe is in September? this year when you when you got the certification yeah. and essentially what it means for the business why it's so important to the business and to you personally yeah i, I think that um vivo and the way my cousin and i started this business was um was akin to the vivo uh, the, the the b corp um mindset anyway um you know, our forefathers started a business, and I think in many ways they were one of the original social enterprises in the 19th century, where they really pioneered uh, business at the intersection of social justice, and and they uh, innovated a lot with their business. But with the with their business, they also did a lot of good in the world, and you know they were also trying to make very healthy products for society, give a good value to society. Yep. That low pay differential from the lowest paid worker to the highest paid worker. They, in many ways, were part of pioneering the environmental movement, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, it, you know, and, and we were, and, and the modern business as run by outside managers sort of almost had nothing to do with that old business. But we, we knew about that business and were totally inspired by that. And so that was always in our mind going into the type of business we believed in and, and wanted to to run and so b corp was just a um 
you know, is, is, is frankly the sort of world leading certification body that uh, helps solidify a lot of that thinking anyway. Um, being And we found it extremely helpful just to um, help us think through the various aspects of, of the business. Because it's one thing just being an impact business and making healthy products, let's say, and trying to make them in an environmentally friendly way. But it's kind of a whole other thing to run a business that from top to bottom really sort of um, is, a, is a positive impact in society, the way all the stakeholders, all the employees, all the people one interacts with, uh, the, the way the business is set up has um, society's best interests at heart, as it were. And B Corp just helps think through all, all those various aspects that, um, especially for a small business like ours, we, you know, frankly, benefited a lot from the, the support and structures and sort of policy frameworks that B Corp helps you put in place. Has it been, would you say, is it, is it a big part of your, your branding, your marketing in terms of what you're talking about, especially with that environmental, social dynamic and, and aspects? Do you think it's, a, it's something that's important in this day and age to be attractive to people in, you know, coming to join your business, but also your, your customers? Yeah. For me, it's just like a no-brainer. It's a, it's a, it's a sort of minimum, sort of. Of course, you you should be a B Corp. It's not even a, it's not a question. All businesses should be B Corps. All businesses should be run like this. It's the way. It's it's not a. It, it doesn't feel like it should be a differentiator in 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 many ways. Um, you know, and um, and in and in some ways, it's just a sort of minimum, almost compliance level that one should participate in um you know i think you know then what you actually do as a business the, the type of products you create and and really how healthy they are and how uh, really at the philosophy of the service you're providing society you know that you know that should be the differentiator not the, the compliance stuff around you know running a well-governed fair business that tries to minimize its impact and uh, any harm any harm in the world yeah so let's go to fast growth you know you've mentioned some some figures there so 2012 you started you've been through the storm you've been nearly taken out of business and yet today you know northwards of 34 million which just blows my mind in terms of i mean that is that is some growth how have you found being, you know, the CEO of a, a business that is growing fast? How has the experience been? Have there been, you know, some some big things that you've learned from the process that, you know, you'd want other people to, you know, to be able to share with other people and learn from? Uh, um, well, yeah, I mean, look, I think I think the the the, the most important thing is to is to do something that you love and, and and believe in and um you know and, and values that align to your values personally um you know the, the, the obviously the great privilege of of owning and running your own business and you know like our independence and asher and i my cousin and i still own the business 80 percent yeah and, and we're determined to kind of stay independent and not be sort of owned by private equity or anything like that and there's a whole nother can of beans there and 
how to how to finance the growth and that's you know that that, that independence is super important to us and we're anxiously trying to run the business to be able to finance the growth and so you know therefore you need to run it with quite a lot of business discipline to obviously make enough profit to be able to to, to fund the growth um so you know what, what's what's really important is alongside all the the lovely visions and everything is to get the sort of business 101s right and you know we you know the best thing we did was bring in a, a really tough financially oriented sort of the that has since become our chairman who, yep. who had a massive impact on helping us make the business viable and and get the sort of businessy bits right so that we could you know frankly um pursue our vision on on top of that as it were um so you know you you know you can't underestimate the importance of just business 101 and you know it's just it's 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 little things like you know, and the, and as you know, a business that's you know, let's say in, in crude terms, if if you're making um, ten million pound contribution, let's net margin, and um, you know, then you know, you you just need to make sure that uh, it, it is just as simple as making sure you spend you know nine only nine million pounds on overheads, <laughs> um, and and and. And just having that clarity all the time but then one percent you know as the numbers become bigger and bigger the one percent the two percents here and there start to become really really meaningful and, and are the difference between staying financially uh, independent versus not um but but, but look, ultimately um I th- you know i think businesses that innovate and have a have a service to give society are the ones that get the chance to stay independent so you, i think it's it's also easy to fall into formulas as it were and stop trying new things and pushing the envelope as it were and um and so you know the difference between let's say brand building activities versus just trying to get awareness on something super simple is is also really important i think you know what we've tried to do at vivo is, is build a resilience in the business where there's a certain complexity yeah and, and and we've almost resisted total simplicity which is which is kind of counterintuitive to a way a lot of businesses are done where you just get one simple idea and put huge amounts of money behind it and just sort of go for it you know, I th- I, you know i think ultimately then you lose you lose the resilience then uh, in, in in that way and so we you know we probably we we run a more complicated, let's say, interesting business than 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 is would be conventional wisdom, because we we you know we believe in the resilience around that. You mentioned the word independence a lot there. Uh, I wish I'd, I'd, I'd wish I kept a, a tally, but it's obviously something that's very very important to you. Is it is it because independence for you is all about that that, that, that spirit of entrepreneurialism, freedom to be able to do what you want with the business take it in the direction you want to is that why it's just so important to you that it enables you to be an entrepreneur is you know the reason why you started the business i think yeah i mean now is the interesting time right i mean all the blood sweat and tears that we put into this business to get to this point is you know and the truth is we're not really a challenger brand we're still a relatively niche brand so to speak but the chance to then actually get into the into the game as it were with like i said earlier some of the 
biggest, craziest marketing companies the world's ever known. So, so, so you know, uh, you know, there's a tremendous pressure, I think, for businesses around our size to do the PE deal, do the, uh, you know, do the big trade sale, and a lot of B Corp style businesses end up losing independence around our size. And you know, like, I don't, I just, I just think, you know, private equity just and just then goes on and destroys so many of these businesses that should make up like a really positive fabric of, of our society and as soon as you take that money you immediately have to start making short-term financial decisions and you lose the ability to sort of make decisions that frankly are you know in the interest of the of the greater good because you know you're just you're just hitting numbers in the short term and you see that same in politics you see the same in big business all over the world and it just doesn't, it, you know, it doesn't do right by anyone, I think, in the end. And so, um, yeah, so that's there, why I talk a lot about independence. Yeah, I know. It's just interesting. As I said, you said it, said it a lot. I can see, and rightly so, I think. It, it means a lot to you. So the message is Vivo Barefoot is never up for sale. This is a business that you're, uh, you're going to keep on growing and growing and growing, and who knows where you're going to take it, right? It's interesting. I mean, you know, my my family has a bad reputation for um, selling businesses. Um, you know, as I said, I'm a seventh generation cobbler. But you know, that business is 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 interesting in itself. The family stopped managing that business 30 years ago, and and in those ensuing 30 years, run by outside managers, that in the end were on relatively short term financial packages. It says yeah. a lot about the strength of of that brand and that company that it took 30 years to effectively milk it dry before it you know when a shock like covid came along and it didn't have the resilience to survive it and it was still effectively trading off 20th century ideas and, and you know no, no one had really done the you know made the investments in the 21st century yeah to set it up for for the future and and, and modernize it and keep it keep it real as it were in that way so um I, you know i think it's it's an interesting question as to how long businesses should go on and and what the structure should be i think you know one of the things i'm interested in at the moment is you know to, to talk about there's obviously a hell of a lot of capital in the world and i get you know probably i don't know five six times a week private equity companies sort of chasing me because you know and that they've got you know and and, and the banks obviously you know, suddenly when the sun comes out, they obviously come drive. They drive up with a lorry full of umbrellas, um, and and you know, um, and and they just they can't understand why you're not getting on that capital conveyor belt. Um, but I think the problem is that a lot of that capital is wrapped up in this in these in these sort of short-term paradigms, and in, including the banks. And you know, one of the one of the things that I've just learned about is that. Um, in England, banking used to it started off as mutual banking, as mutual funds, sort of community cooperative style banking that was there for society good, as it were. And actually, in Germany, still a lot of that banking exists like that. And so, in Germany, you you, you tend to find a lot more mid-sized family businesses that stay there as part of the local community, as part of society. Really? Whereas in, in, in UK that it's only just been re-legalized 
only like three or four years ago and 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 a, a sort of acquaintance of mine is trying to now get the first mutual banking going again in the uk and i you know and I'd, I'd love to be part of how capital can sort of find its way back to you know a more sort of community oriented um banking that that, that is, is is not on that sort of hamster wheel of of, of short-term gains like private equity and I don't know what the answer is yet, but I just, you know, instinctively feel there needs to, there must be a better way than either private equity or some giant multinational bank that wants to sell you lots of products or so, um, you know, because I, I think it's just, you know, it's, it's a tragedy that a lot of great brands and great little businesses become no more because they, you know, they get to 30, 40 million and then, do the do the PE deal, and you see, you know, you see it a lot, right? People like Nissan got sold to Coke, and now they're kind of, you know, they just they were just bought by a big corporation to play in the orange juice wars, and you know, <laughs> that, that was a business that stood for something and meant something, and 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 it, and it got destroyed. And there's countless other examples, and, yeah. and it's a great shame. And, and you know, so. I, you know we'd like to be part of a, a movement that stands up against that kind of behavior what i find so interesting talking to you galahad is the fact that there is a real there's a real purpose for why you are doing what you're doing and money is not the driver is it that is very clear when you've just said to me that you've had five or six offers a week i mean that's a lot of what we're talking i'm presuming for someone to just you know come in Take, a, take the lion's share of equity and you can disappear into some very nice sunset somewhere. So for me, the lesson that I'm getting really loud and clear there is actually successful businesses are really built on strength, staying true to why you why you do it, why you started it, where your passion comes from, what is it you, you want to achieve and what you want to change. Uh, would you say that's a good summary? Because that's something that I'm finding really inspiring talking to you and hearing what you just said. Yeah, I think so. And if, you, you know, if you're just doing it for money, then that's fine. I mean, you know, it's understandable that the world's fed up, and and in some way, it's the setup is the problem. And so you can't, you know, if you put bananas up a tree over there, and you can't blame monkeys for running up the tree and getting the bananas, right? But it's a good you need to sort of, I don't know, find a way to spread the bananas out a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and that is, ladies and gentlemen, the uh, the topic of our next discussion. <laughs> so, final question, Galahad, if I may. That is the future. And we've alluded to it a little bit, but in terms of the, the products, what are the sales globally? Are you in other countries? Do you have a desire to really push us out to all corners of the world? What are what does the future look like for, for Vivo? Yeah. I mean, look, we do sell all over the world. The, 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 the three biggest markets, are, or the two biggest markets are America and Germany, um, yeah. and, the, and the sort of whole Germanic region. Czech Republic is funny enough, the, the number one per capita place for barefoot in the world. They're Why is really that? into Why is it for that? some What's reason. Why do you I, don't do know. I don't know. I think they're really into sand. They, they had a big sandal thing and naturally right. went into barefoot. I don't know. Um, you know, Australia, Japan, Canada is all import. You know, and, and obviously Scandinavia is. It's, you know, places that are sort of getting back into natural health. Less so in places like Russia, the Middle East, and. Um, Asia at the moment, but um, I think it's you know so 
we're, we're very much a direct to consumer business so we don't sort of go and set up big offline structures wherever we uh, do business but um look I, you know we, we're really you know we're just beginning on many levels we you know we're, we're far from where we want to get where we want to be on any level we're nowhere near as sustainable and we sort of talk about it's not it's not good enough to be sustainable anymore you need to be regenerative net positive yep and you know we see the future of shoemaking as either being sort of supernatural regenerative supply chains uh regenerative agriculture from uh, you know and animals can be included in that but um as you know in in proportion um and then obviously the way they're processed and the factories they're put together in all need to be super net positive and then the other thing of shoemaking that's really exciting is additive manufacturing and 3D printing, and where we'll go back to kind of an indigenous way of shoemaking, where you make shoe by shoe, person by person, foot by foot, made from locally sustainable materials, and ultimately you'll be able to 3D print from greenhouse gases, and everyone will sort of have perfect shoes to their feet that allows them to work walk and move in in you know in in the ultimate natural way and you know but the truth is you know those two ways of shoemaking we we don't we barely do at all at the moment but we i'd like to think that in the future you know there'd almost be 50 50. and at the moment we're kind of doing a slightly crappy version of something in the middle of those two where we're still you know making shoes and you know um, degenerative supply chains long factory production lines filling up warehouses with shoes and um you know too much single-use packaging too many shoes end up in landfill it's you know we've got a long way to go to to, to, to really sort of being a business that doesn't do any harm in the world and and and, and that you know it, it, it would be a shame to Sort of have to give up before we get there as it were it really really matters to you doesn't it as you're I'm, I'm looking you in the eyes as you're talking here and i can just see there's a an inner fiery steel as you talk about this it, it's it's amazing how much it matters to you this is as as important as the profit isn't it it's probably more important than the profit i don't know yeah, I, I think we've seen you know we've seen what it could be and 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 we want to get them and and you know it's um yeah you know, i don't know nietzsche talks about you know you've got a you know the great one of the great joys in life is is walking through the forest and then you come out of the forest and get to the top of the mountain and then you go down the mountain and you try to walk up another mountain and you know that's i mean you know we weren't put on this earth just to sit around at the bottom of the mountain right yeah yeah <laughs> I, <laughs> now i i told a little lie. <laughs> that was the final question i have got one more final final question and i'm I put you on the spot here. I didn't give you give you any forewarning, so I'll, I'll say it very slowly just to give you a bit of time to think about it. Um, but you've been in business eight years, so right now, what advice would you give to yourself back in 2012, based on the the journey that you've been on and the experiences you've had and the things you've ex, you know the things you've experienced, good and bad? Is there anything that you would you know you'd really want to make sure that you are very wary of or aware of as you start your business? I think the cheesy answer to that is, and it's a and it's a classic maxim in business is is don't underhire, as it were. Like don't, you know, like getting the right people on the bus is 
it's so much of building a great business and having a great team around you it's 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 you know um and it's you know if you don't enjoy building teams and working in teams and you're not going to build a great business and so you know you know there's a reason that that the meat market is such a big lucrative business out there and it's you know i think drives anyone mad that's in small businesses having to deal with headhunters and things but you know there's a reason that's such a crazy industry because yeah. it is uh, you know it's a really difficult part of businesses getting that right and you can't underestimate how important that is i think and the quality um and then it's more you know it's, it's frankly a lot more fun you know uh, there's no point doing your own business if you don't hire great people that you want to hang out with that you learn from that inspire you that uh, you want to be around so and look, i think the truth is i, I under hired a bit through the through the stages and then i think the other thing is you know and it's also a slightly cheesy thing to say is is getting the balance you know I, I i probably lurched then a little bit to sort of hiring people that were almost like too skillful as it were but 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 you know or or, or sort of um too into the brand and into the mission and you just got to get that balance right in in general i think of, of surrounding you you know and, and you can go too far to the to the really skillful person or too far to the person that's really into your business as it were and in general as a culture of a business you you know you can have a bunch of diehard barefooters let's say or a bunch of you know diehard business and 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 so I, you know, I, I, it took me years to, and I, I, and the truth is, I'm nowhere near nailing that right. But the, the the culture doesn't fall on your lap in a business, and and getting a team around you that has the right balance of values and skill is is so important. And and you know, if I was to give myself advice, I'd say spend a hell of a lot more time and thought and energy on that from the beginning. Okay. Um, yeah. Galahad, it's been so, so cool listening to everything you've been talking about. It's everything that I expected. You are one cool dude. Um, but I absolutely love the fact that there's just so, there's so much depth to what you're doing here. And so thank you again. I know you must be busy, very busy, especially with all the growth and expansion you're going under. So we really appreciate the time you've given us today. So, oh no, I, I appreciate it. Well, as I told you, though, I'm the, the, my my big pressing uh, appointment right now is to go and pick up my daughter from school. Well, on that note, <laughs> we will we will let you get off, Galahad. Thank you ever so much. Well, I hope you enjoyed that just as much as I did. Thank you so much to Galahad for taking the time to share exactly what it means to him and his business to be a certified B Corporation. And you know, just to recap, this really is an incredible movement that boasts. Over 3,000 companies in 74 countries, household names like Ben & Jerry's, Patagonia, our very own client, Propercorn. So do check out the more about B Corp and, and what a great thing to be a part of. Now, so every month, I'm going to be bringing to you an interview with an awesome entrepreneur. And I do hope that you will be able to take the time to listen to our interviews because they are inspiring and nothing is nothing beats talking to an entrepreneur about their journey and what they're trying to achieve, what the impact they're trying to make on the world. So we'll bring those every month. And if you don't want to wait that long, then please go to HubCP and check out our website where you'll see a whole array of interviews that's con written content and filmed interviews talking to equally brilliant entrepreneurs. So thanks again for listening and we hope you enjoy HubC and we'll see you soon.